The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Well, hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to New Song Church Online. Uh, obviously, today, because of the weather, we're not able to have church services. We want to make sure that you were able to stay safe and warm this morning. And uh, so however you're joining us, whether it's through YouTube, whether it's through the podcast, whether it's through uh, Instagram, we're so glad that you're here. And today we're beginning a brand new series called Compromise. And I, I want to make sure you didn't miss this because uh, God's, here's, here's the thing, the Bible is full of promises. God's got all these promises. And yet sometimes we, because of because of things that we do, we unintentionally forfeit the promises that God has for us. Now, the Bible is full of over 3,000 promises. Promises related to healing, uh, promises related to God's power in your life, promises about freedom, promises about God's blessing and provision for your life, and, and on and on and on. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us this. It says, all the promises. Now, I know that you may be sitting at home right now or watching this on your computer or whatever you are, but... I want you to kind of, you know, stay engaged with me, okay? So all the promises, everybody say all. All the promises of God are in Him, yes, and in Him, amen. Now here's what that means. If God promises something, you can have that something. It's always a yes. Okay, so then that leads us to the question of why. Why is it that, that we sometimes don't experience these promises if they're always a yes? Well, here's why. Because sometimes we do things that sabotage our ability to walk in the promises of God. In fact, in the book of Exodus in chapter 13, uh, the Jewish Hebrew people, the children of God, they're God's chosen people. They're, they're leaving Egyptian captivity. The Israelites, they've been enslaved for, for over 400 years. And then God comes along and he uses this guy named Moses. And, and through the 10 plagues, you guys probably remember that, that movie that can't, comes out that they show every year on Easter, that, that movie. God works it out through, through Pharaoh to where he, he actually lets these people go. And so now God has rescued these, the children of Israel. He frees them, and they begin this journey led by Moses to a land that's literally called the Promised Land. It's a land that God has promised to give them. It's a land flowing with what's called milk and honey, meaning it's, it's full of blessing. But if you read the story... Uh, there's actually an entire generation of Israelite people who leave Egypt who have, have seen God deliver them, but they never experienced, they never set foot in the promised land. Why? Because they, they compromise the promise. Uh, they don't trust God like they should. They, they complain and they murmur against God's provision and plan for them. They're, they're stuck in their old ways of living, their old ways of thinking. And then they sin and they rebel against God. They have all these hang-ups and these things keep them from experiencing the promises of God. So, so listen, when God promises something, yes, it's a yes. But that doesn't mean it's always going to come easily and quickly. And it's, it's in those, those in-between seasons. It's in those kind of waiting seasons between the promise that's made and the promise seen through that sometimes we do things that cause us to miss out on what God has for us. Galatians 6.9 says this, it says, let's, let's not get tired of doing what is good, because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, now understand, God wouldn't tell us in this verse to not get tired and to not give up if getting tired and giving up weren't real options. 
So yes, there's a there's a promised land to be experienced, but it's probably not going to roll out to you, you know, on a on a red carpet with a sign that says that says welcome. And what happens is so often uh, we forfeit the promises of God in those in between seasons. We compromise the promise. We give up. We give in. We give out, and we miss out. And so in this series, what we want to do is we want to help you to first of all identify the promises that God has for you. And then we want to help you to identify the compromises that might be keeping you from the promises. And so today, as we, as we kick this off, I want to talk to you about the issue of authority. Everybody say authority. Uh, in Matthew 28, after Jesus has died on the cross, after the resurrection, before he ascends up to heaven, he gives his, his, his church instructions. And we call this the Great Commission because it's a mission that we're on. But it's a co-mission, meaning we're in partnership with God on this mission. Look at what he says here, Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 18. It says this, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says this in verse 19, he says, Go therefore. And then Jesus talks about all the things that that they're called to do, all the things that they're to go and do. But before Jesus gives this great commission to go, he makes an important statement. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So why does Jesus start here? Well, he, he starts here because under, the, the understanding of godly authority is critical to our assignment and to our life. In fact, if you're taking notes, jot that down. Your understanding of, of godly authority is critical to your assignment and to your life. But before we can go and fulfill the job that Jesus came and died for us to do, we have to understand the authority that Jesus has for us and the authority that he shares with with us. Uh, So God has an assignment for us, and our understanding of godly authority is critical to us fulfilling that assignment. Let me try to illustrate this for you with with an analogy here. I'm going to give you a basketball analogy. Since we're we're in basketball season, the all-star break just ended uh, in, in a basketball game, and like the NBA, there's always three teams on the court. There's the home team, there's the visiting team, and then in the middle of those teams, there's a third team called the team of officials or the referees. And this third team, get this, they're, they're on the court, but they're not of the court. Okay, The referees don't belong to either of the teams. They belong to the league. The NBA has, has league offices in New York where the commissioner of the NBA he sits and he's ruling over the league. But in order to keep rule, the commissioner has representatives on the court and their job is to bring the governance and guidelines of the NBA in New York onto the court, wherever that may be, like here in Oklahoma City with the Thunder or wherever. So, so each NBA official has been given a rule book and, and that rule book gives them the guidelines by which all the decisions that they're going to make on the court, they're going to make them based on this rule book. And, and their personal opinion is irrelevant. Uh, their, their emotional attachment to a team is irrelevant. The referees are not on the court for a popularity contest. Sometimes they're going to get booed. Sometimes they're going to get cheered. But their job is to make the calls on the court in agreement with the guidelines of the NBA in New York. You, hopefully you're tracking with me. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this. But just in case, let me clarify. As Christians, you and I are part of another kingdom. And you and I have a commissioner, another king. His name is Jesus. And each one of us as followers of Jesus has been authorized to be his officiating crew in this world, in the chaos of this world. And the commissioner, Jesus, 
has given us things to help us to carry out what we're supposed to carry out here on earth. He's given us this rule book called the Bible to help us carry out the kingdom. But he's also given us authority to help us carry out his kingdom. And that's why in in verse 18, that verse I read to you earlier, before Jesus gives this commission uh, and he talks about all the authority, he tells them, he gives them, he, he talks about how important this authority is to what they're called to do. Now, here's what's interesting. That word authority is an interesting one. Uh, in the New Testament, most of the time, that word authority is the Greek word dunamis. And we get our English word dynamite from, from that word. It means it's explosive power, okay? But when, when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in this verse, he actually uses the Greek word exousia. Now, exousia means authorized use of power, okay? So, so think back to the NBA, The difference between players and officials is the difference between dunamis and exousia. The players have dunamis. They they may be younger and physically stronger and faster than the officials, but listen, the referees have exousia. They have been given delegated power. The officials have the authority to overrule dunamis with exousia. And all the power of the league office is backing up the officials. Players know if they mess with the officials on the court, they're messing with the league, and the league is more powerful than any individual players. So as Jesus, the commissioner, sends us out to fulfill the commission, he says to us, I've given you all exousia authority. That is the authorization of power that belongs to him. He's given it to us. And then he says, go therefore. Go therefore means based on that, go. Jesus wants us to understand he has our back We have all the authority of heaven backing us up as we go. In Luke 10, 19, if you want to look at this with me, Luke 10, 19, uh, Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all, everybody say all, over all the power of the enemy and nothing, no thing shall by any means harm you or, or hurt you. Listen, the enemy in this world may have some dunamis, but Jesus has given us exousia. Jesus says, I've given you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all. You know how much authority all means? It means all, okay? And he says nothing. There's nothing, no thing that can hurt you. So when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you were given this authority, the authority to defeat and triumph over every circumstance and attack that can come against you. In Matthew 18, Jesus says it like this. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, anytime in the Bible it says, I tell you the truth, that means this may be hard for you to believe, but you need to believe this. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you, so he's talking to me and you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Bind means disallow. Loose means allow. So this is the authority that God has given us. This is the promise of authority, and it's pretty incredible, isn't it? But here's the thing. Sometimes we compromise this promise. We lay down our ability to walk in the authority God has has given us. And so I want to make a statement here, and I really want you to get this, okay? This is so key to you walking in the authority God has for you. The authority you are under determines the authority that you carry. The authority that you are under determines the authority that you will carry. If you want to walk in godly authority, you have to be a person under godly authority. Being submitted to authority is huge in the kingdom of God. 
And, and no one, not any person, is an exception to this. Even, even Jesus was, was, was not an exception to this. When you, when you look at the life of Jesus, you will see that he walked in submission to godly authority and to appointed godly authority in the, in the world. In fact, in John chapter 5, Jesus says, I, I, don't, I don't do anything unless the God the Father tells me to do it. Everything that Jesus did during his earthly ministry, he did under authority of God the Father. But here's what's really interesting. In the life of Jesus, we also see him walking in submission to authority, earthly authority, like the, the authority of his parents. In fact, there's a story in, in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is 12 years old and he's, he's with his family. They go to Jerusalem for this annual feast. feast. But, but if you remember the story, uh, Jesus gets left behind. And so his parents are heading home, and somewhere along the road they realize that they forgot Jesus, and it's kind of like this home alone moment. But So they go, they go back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus in the temple, and he's speaking with the priests. And his mother says to him, basically like, what are you doing? And, and Jesus says, uh, I have to be about my father's business. Now that's a big statement for Jesus to make there. And, and in a way, what he's really saying there is like, I, I'm, I'm beginning my ministry is almost what he's alluding to. And, and you would think that, you know, Mary knows that this is the Son of God. She knows this is Jesus. She was there when the angel showed up and spoke to her about him and all that stuff. But you would think that maybe she would be like, oh, okay, well, I guess you can just stay here. Uh, but, but she doesn't do that. She, she takes him home. And, and in other words, her actions say, Jesus, you're wrong. Come with me. So get this, Mary says to God, you're wrong. And so what does Jesus do? Well, Luke 2, verse 51 says this. It says, Then he went down with them, with them being his family, and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Subject means he was submitted. He submitted to authority. Jesus, God, submitted to earthly, imperfect authority. You say, well, Pastor Josh, you know, he was just a kid. Of course, he, he did that. Okay, well, then you fast forward 17 years. We don't hear anything else from Jesus during his childhood. And then in 30 years old, Jesus is at a wedding. And we actually talked about this last week. And Jesus is having a good time at this wedding, just minding his own business. And, and they run out of wine. And his mother, Mary, noticed. And so she turns to Jesus and says, Son, they're out of wine. And Jesus responds in John 2, verse 4. He says, Woman, what, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now look at Mary's response. This is fascinating. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, you do it. So Mary once again puts Jesus in this position where she's saying with her actions, I want you to do what I want you to do. I'm not going to make you do it, but you know what I want you to do, so you better do it. And once again, what we see in the life of Jesus is he submits to her authority. He's subject to her will, and he turns the water into wine. Okay, so get this. Mary tells him at 13, no, and he submitted. And then she told him at 30, yes, and he submitted. And that's when he actually begins his ministry. And here's what I want you to see. On this earth, Jesus Christ, our Savior, God in the flesh, was totally submitted to appointed human authority and God's authority. Okay, Romans 13 says this. It says, everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone must, be sub, what must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted 
and they will be punished. Okay, so there's two major statements in these verses. First of all, all authority is from God. So that means the IRS, the police, uh, elected officials, whether it's civil, domestic, spiritual, all authority is from God. You say, well, Pastor Josh, then, I mean, have you seen some of the people that are in positions of authority right now? Like some of the people are just like so evil and so stupid (laughs) and so bad. So how could God place these people in authority like this? Well, understand this. Some of the experiences that we're having today with authority are a direct result of the sinfulness of this world. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we live in a sinful world. And some of the authority that God has allowed to be placed has to do with the wages of sin, with the rebellion of this world. And so some of what we're experiencing with authority is, is based on that. But, but understand, all authority is from God. Now, now look at this next part, Romans 13, 2. Anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against, against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Here's the second thing that we see here. Rebellion against godly authority is a sin with some serious consequences. In fact, in, in 1 Samuel 15, uh, there's a story about, about Saul, King Saul, and, and God rejects Saul. If you, if you know the story, Saul disobeys. He doesn't do what God tells him to do. But really, what we see in Saul, is he, he has a, a rebellious spirit against God. He wants to do his own thing. And so Samuel shows up, and speaking on behalf of the Lord, he's prophesying. He says this in 1 Samuel 15, uh, verse 23. He says this, and, and this is important. I want you to get this because... He, he speaks to the rebellion that's going on in, in Saul's life and what it actually represents. And if, and if we're dealing with this, I want you to understand where it's coming from, okay? 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Okay, so God says rebellion is just like witchcraft, what does that mean? Well, witchcraft, uh, if, you, if you know anything about witchcraft, witchcraft is all about manipulating people and resources to get your own way. And in witchcraft, the witch is the deity. And so what God says is, when I see you in rebellion, what I see is a person who has become their own deity, manipulating everything around them to try to get what they want. And then he says this, he says, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. In other words, stubbornness is like the worship of a false god, because that's what idolatry is. And because of stubbornness is the worship... See, here's really what stubbornness is. Stubbornness is the worship of your own opinion. Most of the time, the reason why people are stubborn is because they, they worship their own opinion over God and over the authority that He's placed in their life. And then it says that it's an iniquity, and this is, this is important. See, when iniquity... That word means a bend towards a particular sin, and it's an inward sin. So it's a bend towards an inward sin. And the Bible in Deuteronomy tells us that the iniquity of the fathers is visited on the children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but here's what this means. If you're stubborn, then your kids are going to be stubborn. You're going to pass it on to your children, and they're going to be stubborn. If your attitude towards authority, and whatever your attitude is towards authority, you're going to pass that on to your family. So, so if you have to be right, if you have to argue and contend for your own opinion all the time, because my opinion is so important. Listen, God says that's idolatry. 
and it's going to do damage not only to you, but it's going to do damage to your family. What I want you to see is, is this rebellion to authority is a sin, and it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt your family. God wants you to carry authority. He's got this incredible promise of authority He wants you to have that's going to help you to overcome in this world. This is available for you to walk in this godly authority, but, but sometimes we compromise this promise of authority because we're, we're so caught up in our own opinion and our own brand of authority. We, we have these, these ways of doing things. We want to do things our way. We value our own authority. We make ourselves our own little gods. And let me just tell you, it's a dangerous, dangerous place. So you, you, have, to, you have to understand this godly authority stuff and you got to understand how to work in it so, or how to walk in it. So uh, I want to give you four tests that we all have to understand if we're going to walk in authority. We, there's these four tests that we see in the Bible related to, to, to David. And, uh, and, I, and I believe if we can really understand these, it's going to help us to carry the authority God has for us. If you remember, David was anointed to be the, the new king of Israel. Uh, Saul, Saul was still on the throne, but David has been anointed by Samuel to be the new king. But after David is anointed, we see him go through a series of tests. And all these, these tests are related to him submitting to authority. And these tests are tests that we all face. And what we do in these tests will determine whether we compromise our authority and lose it or whether we walk in the fullness of the authority that God has for us. Okay, so the first test is this. It's the arrogance test. The arrogance test. Uh, in 1 Samuel 17, David shows up at the battle lines with Goliath. And at this point, he's just a, a shepherd boy. But he goes to, to the king Saul because Goliath is sitting there and Goliath is mocking the, the Israelites, and he's, he's, he's basically calling them all out to, to fight him. And when David shows up, he can't believe this is going on. He can't believe no one is, is stepping up. And so he goes to Saul and he says, hey, I can fight Goliath. And Saul says, no. Uh, Saul says, I'm not going to let you do it. So, so here's the arrogance test. How will, how will he react? Well, 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, David says to Saul, check this out. He says, your servant used to be uh, used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. In verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Now notice in verse 34 and in verse 36, David's answer to Saul is, your servant, your servant. See, here's what, here's what David understood. Without Saul's blessing, uh, God would not go with him to kill Goliath. It didn't matter that he had been anointed, he wasn't appointed. Now think about this. Don't you know that David must have been tempted to say to Saul, like, like realize this, Saul's been rejected by Samuel. Uh, the same Samuel has come to David's house and has poured oil on his head and anointed him to be the king. So in this moment when Saul first says to him, no, you can't do it, don't you think that maybe in that moment David is going, hey, Saul, like, you're not the boss of me, man. You, you see, you notice my hair is a little bit oilier, a little bit more oily today than, than normal. Yeah, that's because Samuel came to my house a couple days ago and he anointed me to be the king. Uh, so, you know, once you keep the crown warm for me, I'm going to go kill this giant and then I'll deal with you later. Don't you know he, he was kind of tempted to say something like that? But if he would have, 
he would have been killed. Because David understood submission to authority is, is huge. And here's the thing. I remember somebody telling me this years ago, submission to authority is not even an issue until there's a disagreement. You ever thought about that before? When you're in agreement with somebody, everything is great. It's not till disagreement shows up that that's, that's the moment when we really find out how submitted to authority you really are. And so in this situation, David was willing to be humble and say, I'm here to serve. And because of that, God's anointing was with him in the battle, and he won the victory, and he was elevated to a new level. Okay, here's the second test that we see here. The second test that we see in David's life is the abuse test. Okay, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, uh, Saul tries to kill David. He tries to actually pin him against the wall with a spear. And in 1 Samuel 19 verse 10, David uh, it says this, it says, David fled and escaped that night. So after Saul throws this spear at him while David's just playing some music for him, trying to soothe, you know, soothe the savage beast, uh, Saul goes nuts, throws a spear at him, and David, David gets out of there. It says he's, he fled and he escaped. Now listen, um, all authority, earthly authority, is imperfect. And because of that, we all suffer from time to time to some degree because, because of authority from, from time to time. But, but listen, God doesn't allow us to rebel just because authority is imperfect. Now hear me, there, there's a difference between suffering and abuse. Okay? And the difference is the difference between discomfort and damage. Sometimes you're going to suffer because of authority. You're going to suffer frustration. You're going to suffer aggravation. You're going to suffer discomfort because of earthly authority. But God expects you to still submit but not to abuse. God has not called you to sit under abuse. You, you are too precious in the sight of God to allow people to beat you up. So, so don't, you don't have to put up with that. So Saul tries to kill David. That's, that's abuse right there. That's extreme abuse. So what does David do? He gets out of there. He, he doesn't stay and enable it. He doesn't try to you know, return evil for evil. And, that, and that's what we're called to do. God doesn't God doesn't expect us to stay and be abused by authorities. Here's what I'm getting at. And, and we see in, 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 in this verse, or in this story here, that David would not allow that to take place. He got out of there. If you're dealing with abuse, hear me, you don't have to stay and allow that to be a part of your life. And, and, but, but I'm not saying this comfort in your, in your situations with a boss, whether it's with your, your spouse, uh, you can still sit under that and submit to a form of authority there, but not to abuse. Okay, I hope I made that clear. Here, here's the second test that David we see in the life of David. It's, it's the advantage test. There's two times in the life of David, while Saul was trying to kill David, that he finds himself in a place where he could actually kill Saul. Uh, one time Saul takes several thousand men and they go to find David and kill him. And, and David is, is in this cave at, at the time. And Saul comes in the cave, and, and Saul doesn't know that David's in the cave. But he comes in this cave, and he actually goes back into this cave. And the Bible says that he goes in there to relieve himself. In other words, uh, he's going to the bathroom, okay? And he's, he's right there next to David. And, and so David could kill him, but, but he doesn't. It, but it says that David takes out his knife, and he cuts the edge off of Saul's robe. So David has an advantage, but, but he doesn't take it. And then there's another time that David has an advantage over Saul. David walked into Saul's camp one night, and, and Saul and all of his army are asleep. And, uh, and the Bible says 
Saul lay there sleeping. It actually says he lay there sleeping with a spear stuck in the ground by his head. And so like this guy's trying to kill David. He's, David is running for his life because of this guy. And now he's right there asleep with a spear by his head. Don't you know that David was tempted to pick up that spear and kill him? But he doesn't. David had advantages over Saul. He has an opportunity to kill him. But David says in both occasions, he says, he's not going to touch the Lord's anointed. David understood authority. And because he was submitted to authority, he was able to walk in it. And, and listen, there's going to be times in your life with authority where you have an advantage over authority in your life. It may be, it may be your parents. It may be teachers. It may be your boss at work. You may find your, yourself in places where you're, you're right. Uh, you're more intelligent than they are. You see something they don't see. Um, and, and in those situations, you could rally people to your cause with, with every authority in life, there will be times and you'll have some advantages. But listen, God does not give you an advantage so you can mock and usurp your authority. God gives you an advantage so you can serve and honor your authority. So if you have an advantage, use that advantage to better them. And if you do, God will honor you for it and He'll promote you. But, but if you don't, you're going to compromise your ability to walk in the advantage that God has for you, and you're going to lose it. Okay, here, here's, here's number four, and I'll, I'll finish up with this, all right? The fourth test that we see in the life of David is the association test. Okay, eventually Saul dies. And after Saul dies, a young man comes to David one day and says, I, I killed Saul. He, he says, I, I saw Saul, and, and Saul was dying. He had been wounded. And Saul asked me to kill him, and so uh, I did. I, I ran him through, and he brings David his, his crown, and he brings him some bracelets. And look at, I want you to look at David's response to this in 2 Samuel 1, verse 14. And I want you to, as I read this, I want you to remember, this is the guy who's been chasing David, trying to kill him. Uh, David's been running for years of his life at this point, living in caves, living as a nomad because of this guy. But notice how, how honoring he continues to be to authority, even to Saul's authority in death. He says this, David said to him, how was it that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. So execute this guy that, that says he killed Saul. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Listen, you may, you may not be yourself in open rebellion, but when you have friends that are and you continue to associate with them and associate with their rebellion, understand you will become like them and you're going to compromise the promise of authority if you do. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, it says, do not be deceived. I think sometimes we deceive ourselves when it comes to relationships. And what, what can happen in relationships. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. If you have friends around you and they're rebellious towards authority, I'm just telling you, it's going to rub off on you. And what I want you to see here today as we begin this series about the promises of God and how we compromise them is, man, God is a God of authority. And he, and he blesses us when we come under godly authority. And God has this incredible promise of authority 
for you. Authority that, that Jesus makes available that allows you to walk in dominion in this world. To be able to bind things and loose things. To walk in victory over the devil. To have the power of heaven backing you up. But if you want to carry God's authority, you have to be willing to come under God's authority. Don't compromise the promise. God has incredible promises for you, but don't compromise the promise. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we, we thank you for the truth that we've seen today in your word related to authority, God. And, and for some of us, I know that this is maybe completely new to them. But Lord, we, we see today that we're called to be your officiating crew here in this earth. That you're the, you're the great commissioner and you've given us this commission to carry out your plans and your purposes here on this earth. And we want to do that well. And so we understand that we have to come under your authority and we have to come under the authority that you've placed in our life. And so God, today as we, as we listen to this message, if there's any areas of our life where we have compromised this promise of authority that you want us to carry. Lord, help us to see those things. Help us to have a revelation of those things so we can step into everything that you have for us and make a difference in this world in the way that you called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're listening to this right now and, and maybe you're this is your first time ever connecting with us at New Song, maybe you don't have a relationship with God and you'd like to, uh, I'd love to pray for you today and, and help you to make that decision to, to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. So if that's you today, if, if you're not sure today, if you were to die, where you'd go, if you're not sure what, where you stand in your relationship with God, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose to new life so that I could be raised to new life in him. I give you my life, Jesus. I give you my past. I give you my todays. I give you my tomorrows. I make you Lord of my life. From this day forward, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to just send us a note through our website, newsongpeople.com. You can let us know or, or, or just let us know what, what, what God's doing in your life. We actually have some resources we'd love to put in your hands that will help you to walk out this walk with God that you're, that you're going on and, and, and walk in the fullness of everything God has for you. Uh, God has an incredible promise of life in Him. And I'm so glad today that you've chosen to make him the Lord of your life so that you're not compromising the incredible promise of salvation. Hey, thank you for tuning in and listening to this wherever you are. Uh, we will be back next week at New Song Church, weather permitting, in Jesus' name. No more bad weather, but we'll be back next week. I've actually got a, a special guest is going to be with us, a guy that I used to work with at Gateway Church, Jelani Lewis, is going to be preaching and I know he's got a great word. You are not going to want to miss next week. So make sure you're with us next week. Until then, have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.